This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Thank you so much for joining me on this wonderful Monday morning episode. Joining me today, very special guest. I've had a number of incredible overtime elite interviews, and we're just we're going to keep adding to that list with the GM and head of basketball at OTE, Damian Wilkins. Damian, thank you so much for joining me today, man. What's going on? Oh, man, not a whole lot. Thanks for having me. <laughs> you're you're a very busy man, so we gotta we gotta get right into this interview here. But I, I wanted to start out just some questions about you and your experience in the game. So you came into the NBA as a rookie during the 0405 season. So naturally the, the game has changed in a number of ways since you came in. But how do you personally think the game's evolved really since you played your first game in the NBA? Oh man. Uh shoot, Nate McMillan wouldn't allow us to shoot all those damn threes. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a lot faster. Um, the game is smaller. Um, you know, guys, again, like I alluded to, are, are shooting a number of three. I think the, 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 the three ball, you know, itself, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I can remember probably our teams, my, my first couple of years may have shot on that, may have shot on average 15 threes and you know shoot nine of those are ray allen's threes so (laughs) we didn't we didn't shoot as many threes as they do now um but that's evolution right like Mm -hmm. game changes players change um you know it's either layup or three now um whereas back then when i was playing it was it was it was a lot of half court basketballs a lot of it was less fast break um you know and you had to execute um a a lot more physical um, but you know, I'm, 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 I don't, I don't at all, you know, cringe about the, the evolution of it and where the game is going now. I mean, it works for people. Um, it's certainly exciting to watch. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Absolutely. A lot of, a lot of threes, a lot of layups. That was a great answer. The mid range ain't dead though. The best scores in the NBA are still getting to those spots in the mid range and, and we're watching it right now in the playoffs. Uh, But, but, but speaking of coming into the league, so you were an undrafted free agent who had the grind to earn opportunities that did lead to a lengthy career in the league. So what was your pre-draft process like? And and what advice would you give to to anyone who is projected to be going down that same path? Love to ask that question when I can. Yeah. My pre-draft process was, man, it was, um, you know, I had to work out for a lot of teams. I, I wasn't, you know, I knew where I was. My agent at the time, Mark Bartlestein, told me, um, you know, it's going to be a long shot. And I, I didn't understand mm-hmm. what it was, um, but it's it's the business, right? Like, it is yep. what it is. Um, you know, I took on the challenge and just fought my way and clawed my way 
um, into a nice NBA career um, because I, I just didn't give up and I didn't listen to those people. I think oftentimes what happens is people go online nowadays because everything is online, opinions, insights, analysis, and all these things by all these people who have never been in these trenches before. And it's easy to get caught up in listening to those people. Um, and then the more you listen to them, the more you believe them. So for me personally, like I just didn't listen to them. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm sure I can kick your ass in one on one if we, <laughs> ever, if we ever play. So, you know, who are you to tell me that I can't do this? Yeah. Um, you know, even with my agent, right? Like it was a time with him where he was like, hey, I have an opportunity overseas for you. And I'm like, I'm not going overseas. Like that's mm -hmm. not what I was set out to do. Um, so I was just persistent, man. Like I just, I just, I refuse to accept anyone telling me that I couldn't do it. I love that answer. That that mindset, that's what you have to have to succeed really at any level in the NBA because it is such a high bar, the, the upper echelon of talent that exists in the NBA, certainly one that needs to be cleared in, in a special way. So let's talk about how you got involved with, with Overtime Elite. So how, how did that process ultimately play out? Who recruited you to come work in? and be part of a rapidly growing basketball platform that is Overtime Elite. Sorry about that. Um, I was working at the Players Association at the time. I retired in 2017 from basketball. Um, you know, our season ended in April. I started working for the Players Association in May. And mm -hmm. when I started working for them, I got a call. And uh, the, the as OTE was, you know, being conceived and mm – -hmm. <laughs> uh, asking me that I want to bring what I knew and my knowledge and, and things of that nature to OTE. And at the time I was like, let me, I need to learn more about what you guys are doing, like what this actually is. Cause I've mm -hmm. never heard of it before. Um, so, you know, I did all of that research, talked to some people, did more interviews. And then I accepted the job it was right in my backyard in Atlanta. So I was like, man, I get to work right at home. Um, you know, so it was easy for me to, to make that transition in that regard. Um, you know, and, and I was hired as the Dean of Athlete Culture and Experience, basically, you know, head of all things athlete related and their experience at LTE. Um, and once I joined, you know, after my first year, I was promoted to general manager and head of basketball. Um, so, you know, we've been taking off, you know, since I've gotten here, it's just been um, one win after another. Absolutely. There's been a lot going on with the program too, right? So you've gotten to, to work with some NBA draft prospects this past year within the program. And we'll get to the Thompson twins in a second. I know that's, that's what everyone wants to hear when you do one of these interviews, but I wanted to start actually asking you about uh, Jay-Z and Gorman and, and Jalen Martin. Cause they're two guys. I got to interview Jalen. I actually wrote about all three of them for uh, no ceilings, NBA, the comedy throwing Jay-Z and Gorman, Jalen Martin, and then Bryce Griggs, but Gorman and Martin in particular, they actually earn invites to the, the G League Elite Camp, and they both actually played pretty well. And Jay Gord even caught an invite to the NBA Draft Combine. And I feel like just around social media, around the landscape, like there was a level of surprise I noticed amongst observers who weren't expecting the both of them to stand out the way that they did. But, you know, when you hear people say that they have questions about the competition level or like what's going on during the season at, at Overtime Elite, do you think that you can point to those two guys and say, no, this is a real reflection of what our competition is like. This is a real reflection of how guys are coming in our program and getting better. 
Yeah, I mean, when you speak to the competition piece of it, right, like, and they have a number of guys, eight or nine guys already playing professional basketball somewhere. Yep. So, um, and then, you know, it certainly doesn't keep NBA scouts out of our building. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we average a, a, a large number of scouts, both NBA, international, G League, um, college now, um, in our building all the time watching our guys. You know, we focus a lot on accelerated development. Um, and not wasting time um, with anything else. So I think that's helped our guys tremendously. Um, it's taught them a level of discipline and, and, and hard work that they've embraced um, and bought into. So it was no surprise to me that Jay-Z and I played well. Hell, even before mm -hmm. he got to OTE, he was a hooper. So yep. there's no surprise to me that he played well. There's no surprise to me that Jalen Martin did well. Um, Bryce Briggs certainly going to get his opportunity. And then you have you know, the Twin Towers, literally. <laughs> um, and Amin and Asar, who are just on another level by themselves. And, you know, when you speak to the level of competition that we have here, th those are two guys, you know, who are potential top five, top six picks in this, coming, mm -hmm. this upcoming draft. And they didn't come here and average 50 points a game. They only averaged 16, 17 points a game. So, um, you know, Everything that they did out there every night, you know, they were, they were, they were, they were challenged, you know, mm -hmm. every, every day in practice, you're being challenged because you're standing next to another alpha dog um, who is just as good or, or, or not better. Whereas if you're at your local high school and, and you're the man on that team, you're standing mm -hmm. next to, you know, a science major who just happened to be tall and, <laughs> And you're playing basketball against him every day who quite frankly probably doesn't even love playing basketball so um it's a different environment it's a different ecosystem here and, and we just have a great time with guys getting better absolutely and i know listen i i know the scouts are are in and out of the building you know at overtime elite i i made it down to Atlanta. you guys got me to come to atlanta it was my first time in the city um really enjoyed the the experience that i had at the facilities and, and everything i saw all the people I got to interact with. So definitely was a good experience, but something I can see is a great environment for players to develop and get better, just like with those guys. But yeah, we, we do have to talk about the Thompson twins naturally. So, all right, Amen Thompson, we, we know where he's projected to go top four pick right now, slotted to go to the Houston Rockets with a perceived floor, you know, buy a lot of mock drafts and, and guys who are doing those with Intel perceived floor about eight to the Wizards. So, pretty locked top eight pick as well as with a sort. But when you first saw men play, what were your initial thoughts when you saw him play and how do you project his game to fit in as well as develop and evolve at the next level? Cause I, I can give you my first impressions when I saw him play, when I got down to OT, I, I specifically remember in, in one of the exhibition games, he was coming off a of pick and roll, leave you rejected the screen, drove straight to the basket. Defender came over on the help, met him at the basket he did like a 180 spin and a behind the back pass was dropped perfectly to the cutting man along the baseline for a layup. And I was like, I, I just have not seen stuff like that before. Like genuinely from another basketball player, I just don't see stuff like that happen all the time. So like, what was your first impression? When you saw him? I mean, I knew he and both Amin and Asar were special. The first time I saw mm -hmm. them, they had um, their fast twitch just the way they, they cover ground so quickly, how unbelievably athletic and explosive they are and um, the way they can affect the game defensively. Those are the things mm -hmm. that 
me. Like I, I wasn't even paying attention to what they were doing offensively. I was just floored, you know, and, and, and shocked at just how how much they knew, you know, how much how quickly they could read defense. Um, you know, and, and the plays that they made and how quickly they can read offense. Um just the adjustments, different adjustments that they would make, you know, mm-hmm. on the fly. Um, at, 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 it, you just don't see that a whole lot at um, that age. So I was really just surprised and and also, like, very, very happy <laughs> that, <laughs> part that I was about to be a part of these two guys' growth, man. Like, Amin is, is special, man. He's competitive. He's, he's fiery. Um you know, he, he has a competitive edge to him that's, you know, he wants to be the best. He literally mm-hmm. feels like he's the best to play the game. And, you know, I, I, I can appreciate that. Like a guy who really just comes out every night um, and plays as hard as he can and can affect the game on both ends of the, of the floor, excuse me, the way that they, they both do. Um, mm-hmm. So I knew from the start that they were going to be special. Absolutely. Do do you think some of the jump shot concerns have been overblown with, with, with a men Thompson? Do you think there's just so many other tools in the toolbox for him to be able to work with? But you know, that's how it is. You're going through this process. You're being talked about as a top, top pick in the draft and they, they got to find something to talk about. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you would think everyone that came into the draft was Steph Curry, the way they, <laughs> uh, way they talk about a minute and saw Like I'm like, Okay, you guys are critiquing his shooting, but like, how many knockdown shooters are actually in the draft? If you think about it, how many knockdown shooters um, are getting drafted every year, right? Like, yeah, LeBron certainly wasn't a knockdown shooter when he first came into the league. Um, you know, I can name a number of guys who are. Dwayne Wade wasn't a knockdown shooter when he came into the league, like, but they 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 have to find something to talk about and critique and. You know, I think Amin is, is learning that. He and Asar are learning that and starting to understand that. Um, but, you know, and I try to tell him that all the time. Like, bro, like, that's what happens. Like, you, they have to find something to talk about. Absolutely. So, Asar Thompson, right? So, really getting some buzz all year long because of the improvements he made shooting the ball, right? The form looks a lot cleaner. It looks like it's going to be more projectable to work at the NBA level. But when I had Coach Dave Lato on, the podcast and got to interview him he praised Asar's growth not not just in terms of what he's done from a skill perspective but as a leader on his own team and that's really how he talked about Asar what developments did you see from him this year within OTE and do you think he's been underrated in a sense because a lot of the conversation goes to a man but maybe Asar's deserving of a lot more conversation as well well Asar is special too man like I think he's more of a more of a perimeter like um, wing-type, combo-type guy than Amin is. Um, you know, he plays a lot more without the ball. Um, you know, he, he's – like, he's – Asar is special, man. Like, yeah. Asar is special, and I can't wait to see, you know, not only where he lands, um, but how he transitions, you know, at the next level. I think they're both going to be special, but – um, you know, Asar a, a has a lot of things that a man doesn't, and a man has a lot of things that Asar doesn't. And I think mm-hmm. we're going to find that out the more they watch them both. 
So with, with, with a SAR specifically, I wanted to ask you this because when you, when you actually flip on the tape and you watch him and you actually operate and, and you look at not, not just the ways in which he's scoring and shooting the ball, but really his ability to see the floor as a playmaker as well, it may not be as creative in some moments as a man, but I think his passing has really been under discussed to the point where you start to have these ideas of, are we sure that Asar is definitely going to live on the wing or can he maybe evolve into a primary ball handler at the next level for a team? Maybe he has more responsibility with the ball in his hands. What, what do you think about how he can fit in and, and be a puzzle piece to an NBA team success? I, I think Asar is going to be able to do well, extremely well at wherever he ends up being mm-hmm. Right, like whatever they ask of him to do, he's going to be able to do that well, um, because of his adaptability and, and, and he's like, he can he's a plug and play. Like you can yep. put him anywhere because of his size, athleticism, his defensive prowess, um, his playmaking ability, his shot making ability, um, and just in all the things that he does, I think he's going to be fine. Absolutely. So when we when we step back. And we look at we look at the overtime elite program as a whole, right? So now we've just talked about a number of players who are going to be available in this draft. And there's plenty of guys who are going to be in the 24 and, and 25 and, and ultimately the 26 NBA draft. So how would you say overtime elite separates itself from other, you know, prep, high school, pre-draft routes? And like what are the major benefits for guys if they're enrolling through OTE? What what, what can they expect when they come to the program? Oh, they can expect accelerated development, you know, both and off the court. They can expect their brands to be built up. Um, They can expect a high level of uh, attention to detail um, that goes into their development process. Um, You know, we're very, very um, detailed oriented in that way, right? Like where, you know, from your training, from your, your, your academics, from your brand building, from um, even things like your recovery, how we schedule things um, to help get the most out of your bodies. Um, you know, it, I don't think there's a path that you can go at this level, um, you know, in terms of high school, you know, basketball player, high level high school basketball player, where you'll go and experience this amount of attention to detail mm-hmm. and this amount of development, um, you know, so quickly. Uh, we have a number of coaches and, and, and staff members who pour um, so much into you as a player, as a, as a student, you know, as a person um, that you're, that you're in, and, and as a staff, we're operating at excellence all day, every day. So, yeah. you know, it's a very demanding for us as a staff um, to deliver on the promises that we make during the recruiting process. Um, and we challenge ourselves every day to deliver on those promises. So, um, there's not a path anywhere that you're going to get the development that you get here. Absolutely. And, and I think a lot of that ties into the, the last main question that I wanted to ask you, which was really about how you see the program going forward. And I wanted to make sure that I touched on this in our interview because it's how we connected on social media. We were able to make this happen. So you saw something that I tweeted out and it's something that I, I had said for months in private circles that I believe OTE has the chance to be an excellent developmental pathway for those guys, you know, in that 16 to 18 range. And then when, when they get to their 18th birthday, 
there's other opportunities available to them as well that may be even more accessible in terms of how they translate to those pathways like a G League Ignite, for example. And that's something I want to see more players explore going, you know, the OTE to the Ignite route. So, like, what what do you see as the future for Overtime Elite as a whole and how can the program keep growing and moving forward in terms of recruiting development and then, you know, opening up those other pathways and making those more accessible to these players? Well, I mean, I look as the head of basketball over our league, I just want to build a successful competitive league. Yep. Um, you know, from 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 now until we are no more. Um, <laughs> you know, and then in, 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 and I think if we do that and take care of those things and continue to produce, um, you know, pros and continue to show people, you know, the level of development that we and the commitment to development that we're showing, I think that becomes our recruiting tool, right? Yeah. Like more people see how much better we're making players. I think it makes the decision for them easier and the stress on us lighter, mm-hmm. um, you know, in terms of recruiting. So, um, you know, it, you know, the old saying, if you build it, they'll come. And, and <laughs> right now we're just building. Uh, we're building up our brand. We're building up OTE, but more importantly, we're building up the players that commit to us. Absolutely. And I think what, what's, what's been going on with, with the, 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 the development of Overtime Elite and really what's happening with a lot of these other interesting pathways, you know, outside of the traditional high school to college route, I think it's been fascinating. I think they're, they're producing a lot of really interesting case studies and, and opportunities for not just players, but really also for scouts to get better at evaluating different types of film and different types of leagues and, and competition and, and really, you know, strengthening their basis and, and and where they're at as far as evaluators. So I, I love to see the success. I love all the players that are coming in and out of the program. And I, I want to see more continued success, Coach. I want to be in the overtime elite building again soon. I want to make sure that we're connecting for sure. But I guess last thing I'll say, do you, what advice would you give to the guys in the program who are going to be entering the, the NBA? What is your last piece of advice for your guys that are entering the draft? Just don't be denied mentally, man, and don't listen to the internet, you know. Um, I think oftentimes people start listening to it, like I said earlier, and then they they, they start believing that false narrative. So just keep your head down, um, keep working as hard as you can, you know, and, and, and let the universe take care of the rest, man, because at the end of the day, like, this should be the best time of your life, right? Yeah. Dreams, and it's not, it's not supposed to be, it's not designed to be easy. Right. Like reaching any goal that you have in your heart since you were a kid, it's not going to be easy to attain that. So um, just stay persistent, keep working, um, you know, and and focus on your abilities and the things that you do well and um, improve and, and, and work as hard as you can, you know, also on the things that you don't do well. And more in the, in the last point I would say is just listen, right? Mm -hmm. just listen, listen to people, um, you know, who are trying to help you, who you trust in, who you know that have your back. Listen to those people and, and, and they'll share with you, um, I'm sure, some valuable lessons. Honesty, sincerity, hard work, those seem to be pillars of the Overtime Elite program. They're pillars for you, Damien. So that's certainly very valuable advice for everyone going through this pre-draft process right now, but also everyone just listening in general, no matter where they're at in life, I feel like those are pillars no matter where you're at in life to certainly abide by. So Damien, thank you so much for, for giving some of your time to hop on with us. I really appreciate the opportunity for the interview. Everyone out there listening, 
make sure that you're staying connected to No Ceilings at No Ceilings NBA on Twitter, NoSeilingsNBA.com to get all of your draft content Monday through Friday, even some Sundays. And you can follow me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. But until we meet again on this platform, thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the No Ceilings NBA YouTube page and on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. I am Maxwell Baumbach, and today I'm joined by another prospect in the 2023 NBA draft. He is a sharpshooting playmaker out of Washington State, Justin Powell. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. So 6'6", shooter. Uh, you got the playmaking juice to you as well. How would you describe your game to people that, that maybe are unfamiliar or just kind of coming into the, gra- the draft scene now and maybe haven't seen you play? I think you described it pretty well. Uh, sharpshooting <laughs> playmaker is kind of what I would go by, but uh, sharpshooting playmaker who has got a high IQ, a good feel for the game. Um, also just kind of uh, a smart defender when it comes to different things. But I think you said it perfect. It's a sharpshooting playmaker. For sure, man. Sounds good. So um, let's, let, I always like to start at the very beginning. So what was it that got you into basketball growing up? So my whole family's kind of had a lineage of basketball. My, my mom, my dad, everybody's kind of played my brother. So it was kind of just, here's a ball, go bounce it and go play. So that was kind of how I started playing originally. But uh, I, I fell in love with it probably my high school high school years. Yep. Okay. Was your game any different than it is now? Like when you were playing in high school and stuff like that? Or have you always just kind of been the guy that you are now in, in terms of style? Yeah, I think it's kind of it's been a little bit similar to what it is in high school, but I think it has changed since I've gotten to college. In college, I've shot a little bit more threes than I usually did in high school because high school, you know, I was usually the taller one, more athletic one, stuff like that. So I could kind of get away with some of the stuff going in the lane, uh, finishing over people, stuff like that. But in college, mm-hmm. you have some of these seven foot guys who touch the top of the backboard rotating <laughs> over. So can't really do that mm-hmm. anymore. So I've, I've kind of <laughs> to develop a floater. That's a big thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've definitely shot more threes in my college career. For sure. For sure. And so, yeah, so let's kind of talk about your college journey. So you started off at, at Auburn um, and you kind of put yourself on the map pretty quickly, but like your season got short. That was that weird COVID year too. Like everything about that season was weird. Um, but like you were like top 100 some places, but I don't think you were somebody that a lot of people thought was going to make like the imprint that you did as a freshman. So what was that? year like because everything about that season looking back is is odd and like you play 10 games you overachieve like what what was that like at the time it was great honestly like Auburn mm-hmm. was a great it was a great place um love everything about them great people over there um but in the beginning people don't realize I was on scout team 
two weeks before the season started. So everybody's like, oh, yeah, he started all the way through and he had a great year. Like I was on scout team two weeks before the season. So uh, I was expecting it to be a rougher season for myself. Mm-hmm. But um, going in there, just kind of no expectations, just kind of going in and just helping any way I could. So I was on scout team, uh, ended up getting an opportunity to play a little bit more, took mm-hmm. advantage of it. And um, honestly, there were some highs and there were some lows that year. But and honestly, in the beginning, there was a lot of highs for me. It was great. I got to showcase what I did in high school and I got an opportunity early, which was good as a freshman because mm-hmm. not many guys, a lot of guys are good and they're able to do stuff like that. But they just don't get the opportunity because, you know, there's different levels to things. So um, BP gave me a good opportunity early and I kind of took it and ran with it. Mm-hmm, for sure. And then um, only getting to play 10, 10 games. Was that like, uh, like, I don't know, like, how did, how did that, how do you deal with that mentally? Cause like so often I feel like players like to be in a rhythm, especially guys that shoot, like you want to like have that consistency and whatever. And then, having a year where things like kind of get short, it's like hit or miss as far as like when you're playing and things like that. How did, how did you deal with the mental aspect of playing in a season where games are getting canceled and then, you know, injury, things like that? Yeah, it was tough. So that was when I had my concussion. I I had a Mm -hmm. great 10 games to start the season. I was on a really big high right there at the moment. So I was feeling good about myself. I was in a good rhythm. Uh, I was doing everything well, playmaking, rebounding, scoring. So I was feeling good. Ended up, unfortunately, having an injury at Texas A&M. So mm-hmm. that kind of cut my whole season short. And, you know, even when Sharif uh, was able to come back and play, I was I was excited to get out there and go play with them because I, mm-hmm. I was able to go back to the two a little bit more and play my more natural position at the time. So I was excited to do that, but I kept ramping up and never, never getting rid of headaches and symptoms and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. um, couldn't couldn't end up clearing all the tests and stuff like that. So I wasn't able to play, which sucked. But. I was in a great rhythm at the time, but uh, it was, I'll be honest, it was some, it was some dark times during that, during that COVID year when I had my concussion because it was COVID as it was. So uh, not many yeah. people got in contact with you. And then I couldn't leave my room because I was, it was COVID and I couldn't do anything. So I was just sitting at a ceiling for a couple months. So it, it was some dark times, but a lot of phone calls mm-hmm. were made during that time. For sure. For sure. And then I kind of view this season as like, almost a continuation of, of some like the big games that we saw as a freshman where it feels like everything was like really actualized, like everything came to be. What kind of clicked at Washington State for you this season? I think it was just the people over there, honestly. Like Coach Smith and his staff, they do a great job with uh, putting guys in position to uh, be successful, honestly. So um, my, my freshman year, I had uh, I was the point guard and I was, had a little bit more of the ball handling role. So when I got to Washington State, that was kind of my role as well. So Coach Smith and the guys around me too, like Big Muhammad Gay, like credit to guys like that. Um, you know, he was able to play a lot of two-man game with me, which helped a lot. And uh, it was able to bring back out that pick and roll life in me. So uh, mm-hmm. it was kind of, like you said, a continuation of my freshman year a little bit. But credit to the coaching staff over there and stuff like that. They did a great job. WSU is a great program, and I love my time over there. For sure. Yeah. It seems like they're just like really on the way up. And I've had a lot of guys where it's like, man, that guy had like a great season. That guy clearly got way better year over year. Like, it seems like they're, they're doing the right thing over there. Um, so I, I kind of want to s- s- put this question a little earlier than I normally do. Cause then we can kind of use it to get into the framework of your game. Mm-hmm. Um, but what would you bring to an NBA team and what would you see your role being on an NBA team? So I think my role in an NBA team would be kind of a floor spacer, especially early on in my career. Um, I believe that 
my career could go a couple of different ways, just depending on what a team needs. I could be a, a, a ball handling kind of playmaker as well as a shooter like I was this past year. I could, you know, if teams have already got that, I can just be, you know, a, a straight shooter and I could hopefully turn it into somebody like a Max Struess and with some J.J. Redick, you know, coming off screen qualities and Duncan Robinson and stuff like that. So that's what I've been adding to my game a little bit. And that's been a big help uh, so far during this whole process. But whatever a team needs, I believe, like, that's what helped my freshman and junior year. I was able to handle the ball and stuff and be a, kind of the point guard. So uh, if a team needs a point guard, they can get that. But if a team needs just a shooter, I'm also mm-hmm. good with that. So I can play a, a couple of different positions. For sure. And I, I think that's a real value add um especially when you're looking in the second round is a lot of times you get guys that are, are pretty narrow in terms of what like their role can be where if you can get a guy that's versatile it gives them more pass to find a way to to make a long nba career for themselves um let's start with the shooting because i think the shooting is like one of the things that really popped to me i i mentioned it in like i do a quick hit section of my prospect overview where i, I just note a couple guys that are they're interesting and when you started testing um the waters for the draft i i written about you um a little bit because there are very few players that take the amount of threes that you do that hit as many as you do on high volume while also like having a high assist rate like it's a really nice combination of skills that that make for a really good complementary player um but you take and make a lot of threes which is very difficult to do at a high level you've done it consistently over three seasons um, so three seasons of high major college basketball, 41.9% from three. Um, you've made 54.7% of your unguarded threes for synergy this past season. So uh, teams can't leave you open. So how have you developed as a shooter over the years? And what, I guess, how do you, how do you drill your shooting? Like, how do you get your shooting to a point where you're able to hit it like that? Well, first of all, shout out to Brent Roberts, um, not known or anything, but a good family friend. He actually mm-hmm. helped me fix my shot. So in high school, I couldn't shoot for anything. I was, okay. I was an awful shooter. <laughs> going in probably my freshman, sophomore year, I was a little bit better. But uh, mm-hmm. going into high school, I was awful. I couldn't shoot. Couldn't figure out if I was left or right-handed. Uh, really? Big mess. So I've dealt with that for a while and ended up going to him. Didn't think it would work. Ended up fixing my shot. And now I'm shooting in the high, in the mid 40s and low 40s and stuff like that. So credit to him, first of all. But uh, for a shooter, especially, it's all about reps and just a routine. So mm-hmm. I'm a big reps guy. Like I'll go in, I'll get my shots in the morning, get my shots at night before, like just different things. So um, I try to keep everything game speed. So uh, you can get the best look in games as you are in practice and workouts and stuff like that. But a big routine is just um, I think every shooter's kind of got their different ones, which you see pregame and stuff like that. But uh, routine, 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 those are kind of big things, but routine and reps. Mm-hmm. And then how do you have you come to deal with the amount of gravity that you create as a shooter? Because I think it's one of those things where people are like, oh, yeah, it's like great. This guy is like shooting gravity, like defenders, like have to play him tight or whatever. But that like in and of itself presents challenges because you're not going to get easy looks. You have to find ways to get open. So how have you kind of evolved that element of your game? I think college, it wasn't as much because I was the point guard and they still had to back off a little bit. So I couldn't just initiate certain things. So that helped a little bit. But a uh, big thing like you're seeing with Duncan Robinson, Max Struess, um, just different guys like that in playoffs and stuff right now is you just got to get really creative. Even like Steph and other Warriors have taken it to a different level, but just getting really creative with different things. And it can get frustrating at times because 
they're they're guarding you really tight and they're holding you on and stuff like that. But you have to figure out different ways to get open and you just have to constantly, especially what I've learned in the pre-draft process with Adam Harrington is like, you have to just constantly be moving. If you're going to be a shooter, mm-hmm. you have to, you have to set the screens. I, that's a new thing to me. Like I was never the one setting screens. So mm-hmm. you have to set good screens that'll get you open, but different things like that will help. And um, that's just a big thing that I've learned uh, going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Adam here for people who don't know is a former Nets assistant, like a guy who's, been around the league for for a long time um with like the screening element i think that's something that's really interesting so something that we had discussion about on a podcast lately is it like it seems like everybody in the nba has to set screens now so what has that adjustment been like because it's something that like doesn't really get brought up much and i think if you're not like deep in the weeds on the film like it's something like i, I think is a newer thing that we saw a lot more of this year. Like Isaiah Joe in Oklahoma city sticks out to me mm-hmm. as somebody who's like, that guy was never somebody that when he was coming out of college, I was like, it's going to have to learn how to set screens. Like that was just like, yeah. never something yeah, I thought no, that was two yeah. years ago. Like, and now that that's a part of his game. So what is like that adjustment been like and, and having to kind of lay into people. It's been interesting. So mm-hmm. uh, I remember our first couple of days that uh, we were in Adam's place uh, working out and he was like, all right, all right, you're gonna set this screen and go off, and I was like, I'm gonna set the screen. <laughs> He's like, Yeah, you're gonna set the screen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, watching film and doing a bunch of different things is just like realizing you have to set screens, like I said, if you're gonna be a shooter. But it's a big element, I think we're seeing it more and more in today's game. Like, the guards are setting more screens because it's, it's doing different things, it's helping uh, big and get open, and it's helping also create some space where big can't be in. Our guard can't be on you as much, maybe because they've got a uh, they've got to help on that, or the big man's got to be up to touch. So, doing different things like that, like it might not get you open, but it's going to get mm-hmm. somebody else open, which is a big thing. So yeah. that helps one, but also like then you do that once or twice, then they've got to kind of adjust, and then you're going to set the screen, and now they got to help on that, and then that's when you're going to come off and be open. So it's kind of like a little chess game a little bit is kind of mm-hmm. what I figured out. So you have to, you have to do it a couple of times to get other people open. And even if you don't get open ever, like you're still mm-hmm. getting other people open, which, which is a big thing for the team. For sure. Yeah. And like, and to your point too, like you'll see, yeah, like teams routinely do it and then kind of set it up and then that opens up different things or a guy will ghost a screen all of a sudden, and then he's just sure. wide open. Like there's, there's different ways to play it. And I think it's something that I kind of wish more people were paying attention to because it is like a really important kind of evolving element um of the game so you were you were really good on spot up threes but there was also some stuff with like hitting transition threes you were really good on like pull up threes for you do you feel like there's a big difference in terms of like shooting off the dribble or off the catch because generally guys are more comfortable off the catch and then there's like rare guys like Jalen Hajifino this year who's who's better off the dribble or something like that so do you do you feel a difference one way or the other or are you just kind of comfortable with both because the roles that you've played at this point yeah, I think kind of hit it. The roles that I've played up to this point, it's it's affected me in a good way because I've been able to, you know, I've had the ball in my hands and I've had to be able to catch and shoot too. Um, but I've also had to be able to like create. And then as a, as a shooter, you know, in college, like shooting 40%, like they're going to stay on you. So you kind of have to evolve and get creative when it comes to the college game compared to the NBA game with different sets and stuff because you have to be able to shoot it off the dribble in college if you want to be a good shooter, because if not, they're really not going to leave you. So mm-hmm. uh, I kind of evolved um, past couple of years, just getting a good pull-up game from three, shooting off the dribble. Uh, some teams still like at the last minute, they'll try to 
with quicker guard, guards and stuff, they'll try to jump the screen and go under it. So you have to be able to stop behind and still be able to do it off the dribble. So um, just doing a bunch of reps and workouts and stuff like that has helped me. But the roles that I've played in college have been able to be the one and being able to shoot, that's helped me a ton. For sure. So yeah, like let's let's get into kind of the playmaking element of your game. Mm-hmm. Um, because there aren't a lot of six six guys that like really take good care of the ball and can create for other people. Um so 2.8 assists to 0.9 turnovers this last season. So really strong assist to turnover ratio. You graded out well as a pick and roll scorer and pick and roll passer. Um, so obviously you mentioned like you have gravity as a scorer. Um, how do you leverage that to set up your teammates? So being a non-traditional point guard, and I'm not, I'm not the fastest when it comes to being a point guard. I'm not the quickest, but uh, I'll use my body and my size and get to spots and do different things like that. So I'm not going to be the guy that's always, you know, one-on-one doing different things like that. I'm a, I'm a big advantage, disadvantage guy when it comes to uh, pick and roll stuff, but uh, playing off of advantages and stuff like that. Um, I, I think I read and I have a high IQ where I see if different people tag, I like to play at my own pace. So I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like to get sped up and stuff like that. So when I come off of a ball screen, being six, six, I can kind of probe and sit there for a second. And depending on what the weak side tag does or what the big man does, you know, I can either hit the shooter in the corner or I can hit the lob or I can even take it for myself or hit the strong side corner, depending. So mm-hmm. being that size and being able to kind of probe and play at my own pace, uh, I think that kind of helped me as a pick and roll ball handler and, and passer. For sure. And, I, I, and I'm, I'm glad that you noted like the different reads that you're looking for on the court, because I think that's one of those big things. It is like a really important differentiator that, that goes beyond the box score. It's like, can you make more than one read? Like, are you strictly looking for the role man? Are you strictly looking for somebody who's spotting up? And like, you do a nice job of, of seeing the floor and being able to you spray it out if you get downhill or just making those long, accurate cross-court passes. Um, how did that part of your game sort of come along? And when did you start to feel more comfortable? Because you mentioned like the two kind of being originally your more natural position, you end up being more of a point guard. Um, at what point did you start to feel more comfortable making multiple reads and knowing like, Oh, I can, I can hit that pass. Yeah. I would say probably my senior year of high school was a big year for me. So I went back home and played for my hometown school with uh, David Levitch gave me the play. He played at Louisville and he mm-hmm. gave me the most ultimate confidence I could have ever asked for being a basketball player. And I think it helped my game in tremendous ways. I was able to um, have the ball in my hands a lot being at 6'6". I just came from Montverde where I wasn't on ball. Cade was on ball. Cade Cunningham was on mm-hmm. ball. So I was kind of the off-ball shooter role. Went back home my senior year, and I was able to just play with the ball in my hands, but um, able to just come off pick and rolls and just be able to be that guy to find people. And I kind of experimented with a lot that, that offseason in that year, which led me to being able to realize, like, okay, maybe I can make these cross-court bullet passes and guys may not get them. So I ended up doing that pretty much my whole senior year. And then that translated over to uh, my freshman year. And then after I realized, okay, I can do it in college too. Then I started getting a little bit riskier with things and I started, okay, now I can bullet this even harder or I can, I'm film like you'll see different guys. Okay. If he's tagging here, maybe I may be able to turn around and whip it around and I may not see him right away. But I know that because what I've seen so much in film, like that tag's mm-hmm. gonna be there. So different things like that. For sure, for sure. I, I, I one thing I just want to touch on before we kind of get back into your game is like you mentioned playing, you know, Montverde, playing alongside people like Cade, and then even like prior to that in high school, you played with great players. You played three high major seasons. Um, 
how do you feel like your game has been affected by playing with and against like a ton of high level competition over the last like five, six years? Yeah, I play with a bunch of guys uh, throughout. I mean, I've unfortunately been to a couple more stops than I would have liked, but uh, at the end of the day, like it's it's been great for me. I've, I've loved every experience. I've loved every player I've played with. Uh, I've played with some really good guys in the league right now that people don't realize I've played with. So going against those guys in practice every single day, like guarding Precious Achua in practice, like that's not easy. <laughs> so guarding him in high school, like that helped me a ton. Guarding Cade in high school, that helped me a ton. Moses Moody in high school, that helped me a ton. Mm-hmm. Just different guys like that, playing alongside Jaden Ivey um, in AAU, like just getting the field playing with other great guys. It's not as much like maybe – competing against them sometimes it's just like being on the same court as them and like playing with them like I learned how to play a little bit more off ball when I was playing with Jaden and Nigel Pack and Indy Heat for AAU so doing different things like that like realizing how other high level players play that affects your game a little bit and you're not going to have the same game because you have a bunch of good guys on a great team so you have to kind of alter your game a little bit so doing that it's helped me a ton for sure. And do you think that's helped in terms of like role adaptability then too? Like just being able to play a different role, like knowing like, Hey, I've got, I've got to play off of Jaden Ivey. I've got to play off Muhammad Gay, precious at you at like totally different kinds of guys too. For sure. Like I've had to play off of point guards that are I'm more for the two. I've had to play the one where different guys are the two. I've had to play where Muhammad Gay, guys like Muhammad Gay are initiating the offense 90% of the time and you got to play off of a big man. So Playing one, two, three, I mean, doing different things with different people initiating it, like it's given me a lot of roles that I feel like I've had a lot of good experience at and a lot of good reps at that it could be useful in the future. For sure. For sure. Um, so let's talk about ball handling a little bit. Cause you do, like I mentioned, like you take good care of the ball. Um, but something that stands out on film that I think again gets like overlooked a lot is um confidence with both hands. Like you were as likely to kind of drive in, in either direction, which makes it a little tougher to read you. Um, can you talk about just the importance of that and then how you can pounce on that on the defensive end too, when you know a guy uh, isn't as comfortable using their offhand? Yeah, uh, I was always ambidextrous growing up. So I'm actually mm-hmm. left-handed. People don't know that. Okay. Uh, people might've heard it different, different broadcasts and stuff like that. They mentioned mm-hmm. it a couple of times, but my parents didn't know when I was younger. So they taught me everything left or everything righty. And I was really mm-hmm. left-handed. Ended. Okay. So here, here's your brother's love. Uh, go play basketball, shoot righty. So that's what, honestly, it, it was a struggle in the beginning playing some different sports because I didn't know I wanted to naturally use my left hand, but I was using my right hand. So uh, mm-hmm. that was a little tough in the beginning for some sports. But like you said, when it comes to driving, like I might not throw this, this kind of report out there, but uh, I actually like probably sometimes going left off of a pick and roll because people don't think I can mm-hmm. throw a left handed cross court pass to the corner, which I can do. So some guys will force me left on screens. Some teams uh, picked up on it that I, I, when I go, I can also go left. And I honestly prefer a little bit going left with different things uh, at the top of the queue of pick and roll stuff. So um, that helped me a ton being able to play with both hands. And I think some guys towards the end of the year, they would square me up a little bit more because they realized like he can go left, he can go right. And he's good passing both hands going both ways. So uh, a lot of guys just kind of, they tried to figure out different things towards the end of the year but a lot of them swore me up yeah mm-hmm. um and then like on the defensive end like is that something that you notice and if so like how big of an advantage does that create for you on the defensive end when you know like i can just force this guy here i think it was big because uh obviously you play with some guys who are 
mostly left-handed and dominant left-handed and you know they won't go right or they can only go uh, left and they're only going to pull up out of their left hand or vice versa they're only going to do it out of their right hand so doing different things uh, that helped me a little bit but scouting report was big for me on that like okay this guy gets to this spot he's a lot better shooter than he is on the, the left elbow he's a lot better right elbow than he is left elbow so um different guys it was it was kind of a little bit easier in my opinion to guard um because of their tendencies on offense and with their hands and which ones they preferred but uh you could also push up into them certain guys a little bit more because you know like they're not going to cross back over if they do cross back mm -hmm. over you know they're coming back to that left or right hand so yeah that was a little bit easier with some guys but like i said guys that were you know use both hands very equally like a guy that comes to mind is like tiger campbell Mm -hmm. um he was kind of a little bit similar to me like he he liked his left hand a little bit more than people thought so he was dominant right hand but he liked, liked his left hand he was comfortable left hand so mm -hmm. he was a little bit difficult to guard just because he could use both hands and you didn't know what he was going to do and he was just as fast both hands so mm -hmm. and smooth both hands. so different guys like that it was a lot harder to guard than some others for sure yeah yeah and then so let's just talk about defense in general like something you mentioned is you know your your iq your feel on that end um what position do you think you're like most likely and like most comfortable guarding out of the gate? And then what do you think you bring on that end of the floor? I think a two, three, uh, mm -hmm. it would be my big thing. Cause you know, there's a lot quicker guards in at the one, uh, there's a lot mm -hmm. quicker guards uh, on the defensive end, uh, that can guard that. But I tell people all the time, if it's me and John Moran or Drew holiday full court, nine times out of 10, like they're probably 10 times out of 10, they're going to blow by me. And they're they're if I'm guarding them full court and, I know my limitations when it comes to certain things and I'm realistic. So um, I'm not going to be the guy to 94 feet stand front and work them. Like that's just not going to be mm -hmm. me. I'm going to be a guy who's going to play smart on defense. I'm going to, I'm good at rotations. I'm good at playing out of just reading and reacting. Like if a guy gets beat, okay, I can go help. And then he can peel off and take my guy. So doing different things like that is the defenses that I strive, strive in kind of, and do different things like that. But um scouting reports are big for me so mm -hmm. i'm one that i've always got to know the scouting report really well especially being a point guard last year and stuff like that i really had to know them but uh defensively i figured out that like it helps me a lot more knowing other guys tendencies yeah you can see like certain scouting reports and then it, it you get into it a little bit but i have to go even more advanced uh, i like mm -hmm. to do that and i like to figure out what what spots guys like and what hands they like like you said and um, okay, they had a big game this game. Let's watch it, see what they did. They had a they had a, a less scoring game this game. Let's see what they did and did this and how to impact them. So just doing different things like that and really paying attention to scouting reports on defense was big for me. But also, like, I'm a guy that's – I'm great in rotations. The high IQ, it helps in that stuff. So it's a guy that might not be as good of a finisher, but he's a better shooter. Like, it may look like you get blown by, but – my plan was to originally run him off That's the chase line, him off the line. So, yep. yeah, mm -hmm. get him off the line so he can go down to big Muhammad gay and he can block mm -hmm. it or different guys like that. Like some people, you know, like you said, the casual guy watching him might be like, Oh, this guy can't guard, can't guard. Anything. <laughs> um, but I, but so I thought it was interesting. Yeah. So like one thing I noticed, like I, I doing my deep dive on you, I was going through yep. advanced numbers and like on synergy, you allowed less than half a point per possession on pick and rolls, which is like categorized as excellent. Like you, People might get hung up on like the speed or whatever, but like you found a really effective way to limit guys' ability to score in the pick and roll. Yeah. I think that was just talking to Big Muhammad Gay all the time. It was just like, okay, this guy might not be able to shoot, 
I might still make him go over just because, you know, he's a really good passer dynamically downhill. And if I re like if he rescreens, okay, then you're a little kind of you're a little torn up a little bit in there and you're a little kind of tangled up. But you know, it, it was just communication the whole time. But like like I said, scouting reports were huge for me because different guys, you figure out their tendencies, you figure out um, just different ways they like to play. And you have years and years of college film on some of these guys. So it's easy to go watch the film and especially in the league, like some of these guys have been in the league for 20 years. So I think that's going to be a, an advantage sometimes to me is doing my homework a lot. And I like to do like I, I got no problem sitting there for a couple hours and picking apart a couple guys in my matchups game and stuff like that. So doing different things like that in the pick and roll, like I might not be the most physically athletic gifted dude, but uh, I try to play really smart just because I kind of have to. Mm -hmm. For sure. And it's, it's good that you like, yeah, like that's, that's how you, that's how you got to approach it. Um, what have been like the biggest things that you've been working on during the pre-draft process? Like what's the biggest thing you want to say? Like, I want to be able to show, well, I mean, like now you've already worked out for like a, a million teams, but like, you, <laughs> but like what have been the things that you were like when the college season ended that like when you initially decide, Hey, I'm going to test the waters. Like what were the things that you really wanted to be able to show teams that might be different or new or just say, Hey, look, I'm even better at this. I think a lot of teams like they watched me play the one uh, for two years um, in my college career and they realized like, yeah, he can take care of the ball and he's a good point guard. Um, we see he can shoot. Um, but a lot of teams didn't see the side of me of like coming off of pin downs, wide pit action, stuff like that, just flying off of uh, screens and been able to just like catch, shoot um, just right away, like high, keep it high, do different things like that. But just having a quick release, maybe fading away off off balance a little bit but still being able to knock down those shots like a Duncan like a, a JJ Reddick guys like that so the big thing in my pre-draft process when I was going with Adam Harrington was okay he's been around the game he's been around guys like Joe Harris um yep. done really well for himself and just uh he was around him and shoot the lights out mm -hmm. uh, one of the best shooters in the league and he was when he was there so it was just like okay what did he do in a day-to-day -day basis and what actions did you do with him and how did it work and like how do I get to that point kind of? And mm -hmm. I think that has helped me a ton in this pre-draft process of, okay, we know he can handle the ball and he would play point guard and he was, you know, didn't turn it over, different things like that. But how can he be if he was just a shooter? Like mm -hmm. what would his role kind of be and how, how can he do that? So just flying off screens and doing that for two months before I got to team workouts. I mean, that's helped me a ton. For sure. And yes, like you mentioned that we talked about the team workouts a little bit. Um, you initially were testing the water. So you did have the option to go back. Was there a point in the process where like the feedback reached a point that you were like, you know what I'm staying in? Cause I think you announced you were staying in like pretty late, but yeah. was there like, was there a point along the way? Like, can you say like, all oh, like mid May or whatever? Like I kind of knew I was saying it. Like, was there a point where you were like, all right, I think I'm, I think I'm going. Uh, honestly, I, I wasn't, I didn't really have a, specific time i kind of mm -hmm. took it up to that last day of just getting all the like all the feedback i could it wasn't like oh i got you know a couple good feedbacks bad feedbacks nah, i'm mm -hmm. gonna outweigh the good bag i'm gonna go just to go mm -hmm. uh, i still had that year of eligibility if i wanted it i love playing at wsu so taking that i mean i took up till i think the last like hour or so mm -hmm. two hours so uh, a lot a of guys lot did. Of, There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah it was. There was just a lot. I wanted every single piece of information that I could get before making that decision, and it was a hard decision. But uh, I got some great feedback along the way, and it was a, a lot of positive feedback and stuff like that. So at that point, I figured, okay, you know what? Um, I'm, I'm in some. I'm I'm doing pretty good uh, throughout this mm -hmm. process. Um, I'm getting good feedback. Uh, I think I'm gonna keep my name in. 
for sure. So you've, you've had a lot of team workouts. How, mm-hmm. how do you deal with just like all of that? Cause I think that's one of those things that gets overlooked that um, like we've, we, for this site this year, we've done more interviews with players than we ever have. And it's been just wild to see like a closer look at like, Oh man, these guys are going from like city to city. They're working out constantly. Like there's, balancing a lot of challenges like all of a sudden so how has that whole process been like working out for i think like you know nearly half the league or whatever it is at this point like how does that how does that how do you deal with it it's it's a good process honestly like Mm -hmm. it if you love basketball you're gonna love it um but it's i'll be honest some days it's not fun to travel Mm -hmm. and stuff like that but it gives you a little taste of what the NBA is, just the traveling and the playing and stuff like that. Uh, but it's a gauntlet. It's it's tough because I, I remember I had a back to back and my flight got delayed a bunch and I was I got in at like 2 a.m. had an eat mm-hmm. dinner and the next day I had to be up at like 6:30 to go work out for the next team. So mm-hmm. uh, I mean, you only get a couple hour, couple hours of sleep sometimes. Sometimes your best sleep is on a plane right now. So doing different things like that, you got to you got to figure out different ways, like sleeping on planes, like to get just a couple hours to get your body, you know, feeling good for the next workout, because you might have a back to back. You might have a back to back to back. Some guys even might have four back to backs, which is brutal. But Mm -hmm. I've heard different stories of that. So it's a tough process. It's it definitely takes a toll on you, your mind, your body. But it's all it's all basketball. It's all good. At the end of the day, it's all fun. Um it, it gets tough, like I said, going city to city and working out because, you know, some of these teams, like, they, they want to get the most – like, obviously, they all want to get the most out of you, but yeah, you're going to run sprints. You're going to do your thing. So um, you have to mentally be ready, but you also, like, your body physically has to be ready to go because, you know, you're competing for a job. Like, it's yeah. not like you can go there and just, oh, I'm, I'm going to go and just get a good little workout in and that's it. Like, it's a job interview. Like, that's you want to livelihood, yeah. Yeah, you want to have your best day that you can possibly have because that might be the separator of you or the guy next to you who they're thinking about taking too. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's tough, but it it's all fun and it's all good. It's all basketball at the end of the day. For sure, for sure. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time and, and coming on here. Where can people find you and follow you on social media to kind of keep following your journey up until draft night and, and beyond? Yeah, so um, Instagram, I'm JTPowell24. Uh, I'll post some things on there. But Twitter, I'm JTPowell241. Um, my agent, George Langberg, done a great job throughout this whole process. Uh, he's been like older brother to me. I've known him for a couple of years and stuff like that, going through these whole processes and stuff. So um, he's been great to me. He's, you can also figure out his uh, – follow his stuff, and um, that's a big part of my game. Uh, it's just – having having him being able to go through him and stuff like that so he's been great but uh, those are my socials you can follow me going forward awesome all right well thank you so much for joining us and thank you for tuning in if you're not subscribed already please subscribe to us on youtube on the no Sings nba podcast feed and our Substack for written work every single day no sealingsnba.com justin thanks for joining us and thanks for tuning in folks welcome to another prospect interview here on no ceilings nba i am maxwell baumbach and today I'm joined by one of my favorite under-the-radar players in college basketball this past season who is now gearing up for the NBA draft. He is Demarcus Demonia from Texas A&M Commerce. Demarcus, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. So you're one of those guys that, like, I, I kind of felt like I found gold when I, when I came across you as a player. So I'm going to give my backstory on how I came across you, and then you can kind of tell tell people what your game is like. But um, 
during the season, I like to just try and find players that are, that are under the radar. And Mm -hmm. there's some, you know, statistical things I I try to look up and whatever. And I came across your game and I watched, I I think it was a game against either UNC Asheville Uh or or somebody early in the season where there was like a, a prospect on the other team I was watching. And you really jumped off the screen because you are a lot more athletic than yeah. a lot of guys that play at the mid and ma- low major level. Uh-huh. Uh, and this, so like you, you pop from a skill standpoint too. Um, but the athleticism was kind of the icing on the cake and um, yeah. Yeah. I ended up mentioning you in a column and uh, yeah, it, it, you're one of those guys. People type your name into Twitter, just the search bar and you, you get a whole lot of exciting highlight plays. So for people who've never seen you play before, how would you describe your game? Um, my game, I feel like I could do it at all three levels. But, you know, throughout the season, it was just mostly either the three or going above the rim. But, you know, I could do it all, kind of. And then on both sides as well, like I could guard one through five as well. So, mm-hmm. wide range. For sure. For sure. So, I always like to kind of get into uh, a player's backstory and, and kind of what brought them to the dance, so to speak. Um, what got you into basketball growing up? Because if I'm not mistaken, I did a little bit of research. And if I'm not mistaken, you were kind of like a late starter in terms of playing basketball, right? Yeah, I really didn't start until about my 11th grade year. That's so, wild. Yeah. <laughs> so how does that happen? Like, I, how do you not play and then all of a sudden be like, I'm just going to start playing basketball? Um, Actually, I played football, like, at first. It was like my ninth grade okay. year. And like, 10th grade, I took a year off. And then... The basketball coach at Friendly High School, Coach Brian Brooks, he used to like always see me like walking around and stuff like that. And throughout the time, I wasn't always that tall. So I had grew going from 10th to 11th grade. Mm-hmm. Um, he asked me to come out, try out for the team, try it out. Um, he liked what he seen and it just went up from there, really. So so you're around 6'6 now. Were you that height then? Like, or were you still still growing at that point? I was still growing. So okay. from 10th to 11th grade, yeah, I was probably about six foot to six one then i grew about to okay. three six four got it uh so yeah. what was it like to be kind of thrown into the the deep end of like varsity basketball as somebody who'd not played before uh it was i was kind of nervous because you know mm-hmm. first time playing under the whistle um and then on varsity and then i'm starting so it's like it's a lot but you know i, I was always wanting to take on a tough challenge no matter mm-hmm. what yeah yeah so you um went the uh the junior college route at first um mm-hmm. what was that jump in competition like going from you know you you barely played now you're playing in high school and now you're playing at the junior college level um the competition was a a little different it was you know good competition but i feel like i played up to like my standards, like what I'm supposed mm-hmm. to play, but I never played down unless it was like a kind of like a worst team. I kind of mm-hmm. that little problem, but you know, I, mm-hmm. I got out of the habit of that. But it was the competition wasn't too much different from the high school level, but mm-hmm. yeah. And then so from there, um, you end up transferring to Texas A&M Commerce. And what was it that led you there after after playing at the JUCO level? Um, so, you know, I was supposed to go to Central Michigan at first, but, you know, COVID had happened and it was just yeah. like from JUCO, uh, my first year there, I was taking like some non-transferable credits the whole year that I didn't know about. Okay. Everything, everything was just so new to me. Um, mm-hmm. So I was taking non-transferable credits, signed to Central Michigan, went on a visit, loved it. Um, 
but then I had to decommit. And then my assistant coach, Shane Scott from Allegheny, he, you know, dug up some things. And the guy, Ted Rawlins, actually helped me um, set up classes and stuff through, like, straighter line that mm-hmm. of Commerce actually accepts. So being as though with COVID and everything, you know, doing those classes online and being at home and stuff like that, mm-hmm. just, you know, all joined in together. And then they was reaching out to me every day stuff like that just showing their interest in me so that's how i got there awesome and then it's it's kind of an interesting story in a way so you you start off you're this late starter in high school you play at the juco level you go to texas a&m commerce which at the time was division two yeah and then texas a&m commerce becomes a division one while you are there yeah um so what was that transition like to go from playing for college it's division two and then all of a sudden you're division one uh it was a, a great experience um you know, one that I never would have probably saw myself in, you know, years before mm-hmm. you know, come, coming into high school, starting out so late and then yeah. going D1, playing against Texas and, you know, other <laughs> like that. So, I mean, it was, a, it was a great experience going from playing D2 schools to, you know, playing top teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, was there anything that stuck out about that transition, whether it was like, speed of the game size of the opponents level of shooting like what was the biggest thing that you felt like you had to adapt to going um, from d2 to d1 definitely i say the size of the players and and you know this their speed and you know just their ability to take that next step this you know everything is just the next step like going from mm-hmm. d1 to the nba it's just that next step everything everybody's bigger stronger faster shoot mm-hmm. better you know it's just their job. So they have to perfect their craft at that. For sure. For sure. So let's, we're going to kind of get into the, the, the nitty gritty as far as your game goes at this point. Um, so one of the biggest things that stands out about your game is, is your finishing at the basket. Mm-hmm. Uh, so per synergy this past season, you were 70.4% at the rim, which is an astronomically high number. That is a very, very good number to be at the rim. Um, yeah. Can you talk about your mentality? as far as attacking the basket. Cause I, it's one of those things that um, just like from a scouting standpoint, like we see guys all the time where maybe they're a little contact averse. They don't take the best angles at the basket. They, they kind of clam up when they get to the rim. Um, yeah. How did you evolve into being like a, one of the most potent finishers in college basketball? Um, I was always taught, you know, like attack the basket, attack the basket, attack the basket, you know? So being as though as that and then you know going to the next level of everything you have to be able to finish through contact you know finish if you want to get to that next level and things like that you know that's what coaches look for um so really is always and then like a mindset thing like oh i'm gonna dunk on them or like mm-hmm. the highlight plays you know things that mm-hmm. you know really get you out there yeah yeah and I think there is, like I mentioned earlier, like there is sort of a perception that a lot of times if a guy's coming from a, a lower major school or a mid-major school that like generally there's not that athletic. Is that like a stigma that you found yourself having to deal with? Like as you come up through the pre-draft process, like people kind of sleeping on you and like not anticipating you being the athlete that you are? Uh, yeah, at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, you mentioned earlier your your ability on defense. So you can cover multiple positions. Um, really good playmaker. You can stick with guys. I uh, can get steals, blocks, the, the whole nine. What do you think you'd do best at defense? And like on an NBA team, what what kind of positions do you see yourself defending most often? 
Um, I say I could possibly, you know, guard the one through through five still because you know, doing some pro runs this summer, I was guarding like footers and things in that nature, and you know, it's just holding your ground. But I feel like I can, I can still guard the one through five even you know, on the NBA level. It's gonna be a little, a lot, a lot harder because, mm-hmm. but I'm always up for a challenge. Mm-hmm. And what what do you think is like the best part of your defensive skill set? Is it like making plays off the ball, locking somebody down? Like, what what would you say is your strongest uh, suit as a defender? Um, on ball counter, you know, like stopping mm-hmm. somebody, making those you know key big plays that give us that that spark, that run. Because after that, you know, it's, it might be a dunk on the other end or something like that for me, or mm-hmm. whether it's off ball and you know, I'm you know, playing strongly off on someone a little bit. Mm-hmm. I could get there back quick enough to get a hand on the ball and, you know, dunk, giving that spark for us to get going. So I say, you know, a little bit of everything. For That's sure. All on ball, probably. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then uh, one of the one of the big things I think that kind of gets overlooked, if somebody hasn't watched you play and they're just looking at the stat sheet, might be your shooting. Because this past season you shot around, I think it was around, uh, 29, 28, 28% from three. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you watch the film, I think you're a much better shooter than the percentage would say. So, um, looking at the synergy data, um, like less, like basically like a third of your threes were unguarded. So most of the time people are, are smothering you when you, when you're guarded on the perimeter, you're not getting a lot of easy looks being a top option on your team. Um, and you are able to hit threes from NBA distance too, which is a huge, huge thing to have going, going for you. Um, how do you feel about your game as a shooter and, and where do you kind of see your shooting at as, as you get ready to go to the next level? Um, I believe if I didn't take so many bad shots as I did throughout the season, cause it's like, um, I had the green light to kind of, you know, shoot any shot that I want, but it's like in the type of system that it was, most people didn't want to shoot or I just had the ball and, you know, the less five seconds or less and mm-hmm. had to, you know, put something up or like the beginning of the season, I made a name for myself early. Like I stood out and, you know, teams start throwing the two, two people at me, boxing one, things like that. So, mm-hmm. but I feel like I, you know, work, put the work in, I'm doing better at shooting now. I feel like I could get that percentage up now to about 40 ish, you know, on a good note, probably. Mm-hmm. 50. And that, uh, for sure, for sure. And then um, another thing that I, I liked about your game is your passing and your decision making. Um, you do move the ball pretty quickly, which is an important thing as you go to the next level. Um, coming into college with kind of limited basketball playing experience, how has the process been as far as developing as a passer and a playmaker for others? Um, see, I always wasn't in high school like that, you know, killer mindset to go score and things like that. So that's the time, like, you know, I worked on my passing, but I always had, like, a, a good IQ for things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just some players that I watch with the passing abilities and stuff like that. Nate, like I said, like, in the beginning of the season, I was kind of like, you know, that killer mindset to get mine, you know, scoring ability where I'm scoring three le- from th- all three levels. And then they started throwing a boxing one, two people at me to try me. Like, I know, like, it's always someone else open. So, like, I just play my game to open up everyone else's game. And that's just the mindset that I had throughout the year. Mm-hmm. And um, so now we're, we're at a point where, uh, you know, college career is in the books. You're getting ready to play professional basketball now. 
Mm-hmm. Um, what are the things in your game that you've been working on the most as you get prepared to to make that transition? Um, for the most part, I've been working on ball handling and shooting a lot more, even off the dribble, catching shoots, mm-hmm. things in that nature. For sure, for sure. Well, we we appreciate you kind of taking the time to to come on here with us. Um, where can people find you if they want to follow along on your journey? Follow you on social media. Um, my uh, Instagram is dmac dmaa four c's and two underscores, and mm-hmm. you know that's really pretty much what I'm on. I don't be on Twitter a lot, but you know you can find me on there. Follow me, um, and I appreciate you guys for having me. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's always a pleasure for an opportunity like this. For sure, for sure, we're glad to have you on here. We we love. We always say we cover the whole hog of the NBA draft. We love covering any everybody from you know one through a hundred uh, on a big board. So we love having on players that are kind of getting overlooked and and then you start to see their names popping up, getting NBA team workouts and things like mm-hmm. that. So it's a pleasure to have you on. I hope more people get familiar with your game because you're you're a very exciting player and you're you're a, you're a really good player too. And that's why we have you on. We don't we don't talk to guys that don't have a chance. So, uh, so yeah, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to everybody tuning in on our YouTube channel and listening to us on the No Ceilings NBA podcast. So you make sure you're subscribed if you're not already. And thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm.